as you approach the ground, you will hear the noise from half a mile away, shouting, selling things. You will hear the conch shells being blown. You will hear the, the drums being, being there. Then you will see huge crowds milling around the stadium before they are let in. This is the Insight Guides podcast. I'm Zara Sakavati. As a curious traveller, I know that the best travel experience comes from on-the-ground knowledge. That's why we have a network of local experts who design and book tailored unique trips for each individual traveller. This episode, we're delving into the world of sport. Mihir Bose has been writing and broadcasting for over 50 years. He's an expert in many things, but there's one specific sport whose history is inextricably tied with the history of his country of birth. Insight Guide's managing editor, Sarah Clark, spoke to Mahir. I've been fascinated by India for ages. I've had the privilege to travel around it, and as the regional specialist, to edit several India guidebooks over the years. But Mahir speaks about a huge part of Indian culture that I hadn't considered before. I'm Mihir Bose. I'm a writer and broadcaster. Mihir was the BBC's first sports editor. His latest book, The Nine Waves, tells the story of how one sport changed India's position in world politics. Mihir was brought up on cricket. I think it's a wonderful game. I think it's the only game I know where, uh, well, it happens in baseball, but even more dramatically in cricket, where the two sides are doing two different things. It's, uh, as Neville Carter said, a play within a play. Uh, it's a team game, yet it allows an individual to assert himself. And a, and a bowler bowling to a batsman is a theatre in the wider play that is taking place and the two individuals could shape the game more than in any other team game. It's also the only game in the world where in order to get a dismissal you have to appeal to um, a man in white and I think there is a sort of, if you like, um, sense of fair play and a sense of the sporting uh, ground being uh, almost a judicial court of appeal. I don't think any other, any other sport provides that sort of thing. Mahir traces the success story of Indian cricket through nine waves, nine defining moments in India's relationship with cricket. The first starts in 1932. India playing its first test match in 1932 made history because for the first time in test cricket, and this, remember, was the colonial era where the supremacy of the Europeans and the white races was accepted. For the first time, a non-white person captained a cricket team. But unfortunately, the team was not very strong and was easily beaten. However... Towards the end of it, India finally won a test match for the first time. And then there followed three or four other waves, one of which saw, in the 70s, India win in England for the first time, win in the West Indies for the first time. Uh, and then, of course, in 83, I was by then a reporter for the Sunday Times. I reported on, Engl on India winning um, uh, the World Cup, beating the mighty West Indies, who at that stage had never lost a World Cup final. In fact, had won the two previous World Cups. And that marked a turning point that India moved from test cricket 
to one-day cricket. When I was growing up in India, the uh, test cricket was the predominant form of cricket. And in order to watch a test match, you had to get what was called a season ticket, a ticket that lasted all five days. You, you, you couldn't watch a test match without having a season ticket. This transition from five-day to one-day matches had a massive impact on the Indian cricket scene. There's a lovely Indian word called tamasha, which means excitement, fun, um, um, mystery, and um, often a final dramatic conclusion, which is totally unexpected. And and cricket became really that tamasha, that a one-day match lasting 50 overs could provide you um, a lot of colour and excitement. These nail-biting, dramatic one-day matches captured the hearts of fans across India. This, paired with the boom of television in the 90s, really opened up the Indian economy. The Indian Cricket Board started selling television rights to other countries when they went abroad. And in the space of a few years, Indian cricket was generating a huge amount of money. So that has led to the situation where, and this may be surprise a lot of listeners in, 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 in England, the actual money that English cricket gets, it gets much more when India tours England than when Australia tours England because India is a bigger market. And along with that has come a new generation of Indian cricketers. The Indian cricketers that I grew up watching and admiring and hero-worshipping the great Lex Finner, Shubhash Gupta, they were part, were, were people who had been brought up in the colonial era and who did not really believe that they were as good as the cricketers of England and Australia. They, 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 they took the cricket field, if you like, mentally defeated. Will we even be able to catch the ball? You know, that sort of thing, that sort of aura. Now, this new generation, which came about when Saurav Ganguly from, from Bengal took over as captain, that was, if you like, a much in-your-face India. That didn't believe that uh, it was inferior to the to the to the England and the Australians. And, and when India had its famous series in uh, against Australia in uh, 2001, it beat Australia and won the series, having lost the first test. Um, Ganguly, the captain, made it a habit of keeping Steve Waugh waiting for the toss for at least 10 minutes at times, as if to show who is the boss. And that wave, if you like, that that wave of Ganguly changing the Indian mindset, where just winning a match or drawing a match. When I was growing up in the earlier waves, India considered a draw as a victory. And these players wanted to win, not just in India. They often won in India, but abroad. Then, in 2007 and against all odds... India won the T20 World Cup. This was huge. Off the back of this, India launched the Indian Premier League, the IPL. The T20 tournament took off and they could then offer cricketers round the world for six weeks the sort of money that footballers were earning. And all over the world they were interested in coming and playing in India in these rather exciting matches. And for the cricketers, it produced a lot of uh, money, which the sort of money they couldn't have earned anywhere else. And the result of which was the whole nature of cricket has changed. When I was growing up, and until about um, uh, 15 years ago, uh, the English season was the start 
of the cricket season. The moment the English season started, the moment the first ball was bowled by the uh, in a match between the um, uh, champion county of the previous season and the MCC, everything else around the world sees and all the cricketers, the best cricketers in the world, wanted to come and play in England. They played in various counties. Now, all the best cricketers in the world want to play in IPL. They all um, look forward to getting contracts in IPL. They get a lot of money for what is basically six weeks of cricket and the English cricketers are even allowed to miss the start of their own domestic season to go and play in IPL. So the so the power equation has changed, the money equation has changed and at the same time India is doing better on the cricket field than it has ever done before and, and there is a lot more attention given to Indian cricket than it has ever been um, done before. So that, if you like, is the um, is the new phase. Which Mihir says he never could have imagined. India now provides 80% of the world's income for cricket. As a result, there's been a tremendous change in sport. Sport, Britain can claim to have produced most of the sports that the world plays. Cricket, football, rugby, all these sports that the world plays originated in this country. And... Until now, all these sports were run by the Europeans and still run by the Europeans. The Olympic movement, which was uh, uh, the new, the, the modern Olympic movement, which was started by a Frenchman in, who was much inspired by uh, uh, British ideas, um, is, is really run by Europeans in alliance with the Americans. World football is run by the Europeans. Rugby is run uh, by the Europeans and the Australians and South Africans. So if you like, the old, um, and there's no other way of putting it, the old white power is still in charge of sport. But not cricket. And to Mahir, this goes way beyond sport. It's changed the way India is seen across the world. India is still a poor country, about uh, and one point of 1.3 billion people, something like 300 or 400 million people are still very poor. India is the sixth largest economy in the world, but it's still a long way from uh, making sure that all its people are well-fed and well-educated. But in cricket, it has a soft power, like it has with Bollywood films, um, which means that in that particular world of cricket, it is the most important country in the world. So India, which has had a long history of of um, failure, of being invaded and conquered and so on, has suddenly found something that it can say, yes, we are the best in the world. There are not many things that India is the best in the world. Yes, there is yoga and so on, but, you know, uh, you can't have a competition about uh, yoga. But as in cricket, they can say, yes, India matters. Indi- India is there. And that, that fills Indians with a lot of pride that, you know, this is something that they rule, whereas the history of the country is often being ruled by by other people in other countries. Mihir said that, as well as dominating cricket on and off the field, India's also adapted it to become an Indian sport. While it used to be all stiff upper lip and English, cups of tea and cucumber sandwiches, now it's very different. Well, a modern-day cricket match, and the classic one is the IPL that now takes place, which which brings in huge crowds. It'll start at about four in the afternoon. Now, for the rest of the day, it'll be a very, very hot day. April in India is very hot. And as you approach the ground, you will hear the noise from half a mile away. You will hear the hawkers 
shouting, selling things. You'll hear the the conch shells being blown. You will hear the the drums being uh, being there. Then you will see huge crowds milling round the stadium before they are let in. Then, when the when the cricketers arrive, there's a huge rush to get their signatures to to. Have them autograph bats, balls, shirts, and so on. And then the when the match starts, the match uh, and the the home crowd will produce a huge noise when they see their stars. And every time uh, something happens on the cricket field, there'll be a huge noise. It, it's not India is not a quiet place. And at the same time, if one of their stars gets out or fails. Then a deathless hush can suddenly descend on the ground, and almost nobody says a word. But then the noise starts again. So there are waves of noises that keep flowing right through till the end of the match, and the match won't finish till about 10:30. And at the same time, what you will see is the colour, the spread of colour around the ground. People will be wearing some very colourful clothes. They will be displaying themselves. They will wear their best clothes because often television will zoom in on them, and they will want to be seen on television celebrating. I asked Mahir where he would suggest someone thinking of going to India to visit. Um, if you're thinking of going to India, you should certainly start off by going to Mumbai, the town I was brought up in, which was then called Bombay, because I think that uh, will sum up what modern India is like. It is probably the most vibrant Indian city. It has developed enormously in the last few years, and you will see there uh, what may be called street culture: people performing things on the street. Spontaneously, uh, people coming up to you and talking to you, and and wanting to find out things about you. You know, obviously there are various historical places you can you can visit in the city, but if you want to see a cricket match, you should probably go to the Wankhede Stadium, which is not far from where I grew up, or go to the uh, Patel Stadium in in Thane, which is um, uh, um, a few miles out of town. But those parts of the of the town have have developed, and of course you can also see. Um, the various studios where Bollywood films are made and things like that, and of course, what you will appreciate in Mumbai is how Mumbai attracts people from other parts of India, seeking their fortunes. You know, it's a bit like in that sense, Los Angeles was in the 1930s and 40s when the American West was opening up. So it's 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 a mirror image of what India is trying to be. Whether you're looking for the tamasha of a cricket match or a Bollywood movie set, you can book a specially tailored trip to India through our website, InsightGuides.com. Look out for Insight Guides India on shelves from October. Find out more about Mahir's book, The Nine Waves, The Extraordinary Story of Indian Cricket, at MahirBose.com. That's M-I-H-I-R-B-O-S-E.com. Stay in touch on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Insight Guides. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Zara Sekabati. This series is a reduced listening production by Jesse Lawson. Today's episode features sound design by Louis Grace. Special thanks to Mahir Bose. Next episode, 
we're winding down the fluorescent streets of Tokyo.